0: King of Kings, Father, we bow down before you and give you praise, Lord, give you glory. We love you because you first loved us by sending your Son invading the earth, Lord, in the flesh, to show us how to serve, how to live, how to love, for taking on our sin, offering us forgiveness and salvation being our forerunner, our example, and then ascending back to the Father, giving us your spirit so that we can live in your nature. Father, teach us today. We want to be deeper in relationship with you. Thank you for our pastor who's coming to teach your word to us today. Bless him. Speak through him. In Jesus' name, amen. Say hi to somebody you haven't met yet. Maybe give a hug.
1: All right. Let's get going. Go ahead and take your seats. If you are in the foyer or the coffee shop or outside, come on in and find a spot. All right. Welcome, everyone. Good morning. My name is Amy. I am a part of the staff here at Sarah Bible Church. I want to say hello. And for those of you who may be new to our place of worship, uh, we do have Children's Church next door. Um, they are, starts at as young as six months and goes all the way through sixth grade. So if you are new and you want to drop your child off there, you are free to do so. Otherwise, we also have our family room. See, look at all the families. And they're tiny, tiny children. Those ones you have to keep until they're at least six months old. Um, and then we will watch them for you But otherwise they're in the family room and then we have the cry room over here. It's nice and private for crying Individuals could be babies or if you are shy about crying. You are welcome to use the cry room All right, and uh, also if you're new this morning, we have information in your seat po- seat pocket seat the back pocket in front of you it's, Yeah Back pocket in front of you, you can grab that and that'll give you information about what's going on throughout the week. Um, We also have a gift for you, so make sure to go to the info booth on your way out and get that gift. I want to share a few things with you this morning um, that are going on in the next few weeks, but actually, some housekeeping things to go through first. One of those things is your statements for tithing. If you haven't picked those up at the info booth, that is where they are. If you've printed them online, great. Um, But if you have donated or contributed anywhere in the last uh, 2022, That statement is there for you to pick up Um, also if you've noticed the table out front with the clothing and other miscellaneous items that is our lost and found it's full and when it's full we put it out there for you to you know have at it and claim whatever you want to claim how there is one boot out there I feel like that should belong you know that should go to the whoever owns the other boot However, everything else is up for grabs. And uh, it, those things will go to the thrift store today if they are not picked up. We also have Bibles that people leave here. That's actually in our family room on the bookshelf. If you've left a Bible here, um, it is most likely on that shelf. I, you know, I don't want to say they're up for grabs, but like they kind of are because they, some of them have been there for a really long time and they're really nice Bibles. And I know everyone has like 20 Bibles. So you've left yours here and you're like, mm, well, well, well but they're there and they want to be read, right? So all the Bibles that are left here in the church are in the family room. Uh, last thing, our youth group, actually our high school youth group, uh, they left this morning for Santa Barbara and they're going on their winter retreat. Yes, so they're on their way um, to Santa Barbara. You can think of them this week, pray for them, pray for the leaders. Um, and with that, there is no youth group on Wednesday night this week. That includes high school and middle school. All right, so those are our housekeeping items. I have one fun item to announce. Uh, I don't have a visual yet, so you're gonna have to listen to my words very carefully. Well, actually, it's just for women. So men, you know, do whatever you need to do. Uh, Women, we have an amazing women's ministry here at Sierra Bible Church, and if you have not had a chance to partake in the retreat or the luncheon or the various activities that happen throughout the year, this year, they've decided to have a monthly gathering For the women. And so that is actually going to be every first Monday of the month. So our first one is March 6th. It's a Monday night at 6 o'clock. And sometimes we will eat, sometimes we will sing, sometimes we will do crafts, sometimes we will play games. I'm not in charge of any of those things, so I don't know what we will do, but it will be great, and it's nice that it's going to happen monthly, um, so you can connect here monthly with all the women, and we are asking you to sign up for that so we know who's coming. That is on our app. It's a really quick, easy sign-up uh, just so we know who is going to be there. So that's coming up in March. There are a lot of other things, but we have to get going on other things because I can't take up the whole time. All right, here's Pastor Jesse Richardson. <clears throat> <clears throat>
2: Okay. Good morning. I love you guys. I just want you to know that. Uh, if you don't have a Bible this morning, would you raise your hand? Turn to Romans chapter 1. That's where we're, where we're going to be this morning. Um, <clears throat> we're going to be in a topical message. We'll be in Romans 1 actually for at least two weeks, uh, and you'll see why here in a moment. <clears throat> uh, before that, though, we do have another piece of business uh, to attend to at the church here this morning. If you're not aware, uh, I think some of you, most of you probably are. Uh, There are a lot of different models to church, ways that that people would say they govern church. There are uh, are church models where the senior pastor is it, man. They have all the power. They have all the authority. They get to say what to do and when to do it, and everyone just kind of responds to that. Uh, That's not who we are. Uh, There is a congregationally-led model, which is that the church, literally the congregation votes on everything, uh, including the color of the carpet and all of that. There's no evidence in Scripture of a congregationally-led church uh, at all, Uh, so we're not that. Uh, And where we've landed is we're an elder-led church with what we call a first among equals. So we recognize in the New Testament, there are there are lead pastors in churches that God has set in place to lead and guide that church, but that that lead guy, that would be me, does not have more authority than the other elders. So I get one vote, not two votes, so that's not what that means. It just is a, record. you know, we're recognizing uh, there's a unique call for the lead guy, and then the other elders are there to hold me accountable to scripture, uh, to lifestyle that I would adhere to passages in Titus and Timothy. They're here to help shepherd you, guide you, lead you. They're here to help make decisions for the church as a whole. So when we went through the whole COVID thing, you know, I didn't decide what we would do uh, all by myself. That group of men, we through scripture and prayer landed on our convictions and and move forward. And that's what our elders do. They're like our lay pastors who help serve and lead our church and care for our church. And a few weeks ago, we brought up a gentleman by uh, the name of Mike Harrison. And Mike has had a call to be an elder for some time. He's been interning with the elders for about a year. We had him come up last a uh, few weeks ago and gave you an opportunity to tell him if he shouldn't be an elder. A- and these are the reasons why. And good news, none of you came to Mike and said you shouldn't be an elder. All of you affirmed Mike. And so this morning, we're going to pray over Mike, which will be our official last step of placing him into our overall leadership of the church. So, Mike, would you come on up? Everyone, welcome up Mike. Look at this guy. <laughs> <Woo! clears throat> and if you're one of our elders or pastors, come on up. I want you to lay hands on Mike with me as we pray for Mike. And uh, if you have not met Mike, especially if you're a guy in our church, this is a guy you want to know. He leads a tremendous Bible study. He oversees uh, our MAG groups. Uh, and um, he does a men's breakfast next door and teaches the word, and he has been gifted. God has truly and, and very obviously laid his hand on him to. Uh, to be leading. And and that's usually how we select our elders. We want guys that are already eldering. And Mike's been doing that without the title. And so this is just kind of making an official step to something that's really already beneficial. Uh, And so if you uh, so feel led, would you just put your hand out there towards Mike as we pray over Mike? And nothing special or magical is happening. This isn't mystical. It's just a show of solidarity and a show that we're with him and we're with the Lord and what God's doing. Lord, we thank you so much for Mike. We thank you for the acts of service he's provided over the years. And we thank you for this beautiful moment. Uh, Lord, you tell us in scripture that he who desires to be an overseer desires a good thing. And this is a good thing. So I pray you empower him to service. Anoint him for service. And Lord, keep his family safe from the attacks of the enemy. For the enemy wants to destroy what you're doing here. But Lord, your spirit is fighting on our behalf. And so I ask that you would fight on behalf of Mike, and for his marriage and for his kids, that they would all know you, love you, and worship you well. Empower Mike, Lord, to continue to do what you've called him to do. In Jesus' name, the church said, amen. Amen. All right, buddy. Congrats. Can I just say, too, that last song, wasn't that last song just fire? Some of you don't even know what to, to say to that term. Fire, fire. Romans 1. So, what we're going to do for at least two weeks, maybe three, maybe four, we'll see, uh, is kind of walk through the um, just different aspects of Christian service and what it means to serve. You can kind of, you know, you see we came up with a cool little piece of art here, and and art usually invokes some kind of emotion, so some of you are wondering, why is Jesus wearing skinny jeans? (laughs) And that's because serving is super cool, like skinny jeans. I'm that's not why. Uh, it's meant to invoke a little bit of, hey, you know, Jesus, Jesus serves, and we're called to serve. And we're called to carry out the life of Christ, and Christ within, is within us. And so that's kind of the imagery there. Let me just give you a little bit of backdrop before we get into Romans in regards to the biblical call of service. It's seen, it should be very apparent that in Scripture that we're called... To serve, to serve people, to serve God. In fact, you can go in the Old Testament, right, and, and we'll find that famous passage as Joshua was about to enter into the promised land, and he basically asks the congregation, "Who will you serve?" And his response is, "For me in my house, for me and my leadership, for me in my home, we're going to serve the Lord." And so we see that, that he had early on, Joshua, this understanding that we would serve God. You can see the piece of scripture behind me. We just have spent several months in the gospel of Mark. And in chapter 10, Jesus essentially gives his mission statement that Jesus, the son of man, came not to be served, but rather to serve and to do what only he can do, which is to give a life, uh, his, his life as a ransom for many. We know when Jesus was being tempted, He actually tells the devil specifically to the devil's face, Hey, be gone from me, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him alone shall you serve. Jesus knew his mission was to serve, serve God specifically. Luke chapter 16, Jesus would teach on servanthood and say there, there is no one, there's not one person who can serve two masters. You'll end up hating one and loving the other or you'll be devoted to one and you'll despise the other. And then he specifically says you can't serve God and money. So again, he's letting us know we can only have one master, one servant. What's interesting about this word service or servant is, is the Greek word that's used here is often translated in Scripture as worship. They seem to be together. They seem to kind of unite, that, that we need to serve, but serving is an act of worship, that it isn't just service in and of itself for the sake of service, it's an action, and that action is for us to worship God. Uh, I like how one pastor defines it. He says service uh, is, in Scripture, you are to serve in a way that makes God look supremely valuable in himself. So we serve for God's glory. It's to make him seem weighty and heavy and beautiful. And it means to submit to God. Service is a way and a means to submit to God uh, in a way that makes him look thrilling. It should be really obvious, but Scripture basically states that all of creation is there to declare the glory of God. I would argue to serve the glory of God. Everything from fall to winter to good weather to poor weather to what is coming next week uh, that I see in the calendar, all of that is by God for our good, but it all serves God for a purpose. And then humans have this unique call of service. Again, we see this in the Old Testament. We see it in the New Testament. Humans have this unique call, whether it's to be a prophet or a priest or a judge or a king in the Old Testament or in the New Testament to do what Mike has just been called to do or to do what I am currently doing, to serve. So let's just ask the question before we get into the text, you know, what do you think of service? How many of you like to be served? Well, that's all of us, right? But then when it comes to actually serving, it's it's quite difficult. We've got several business owners in our church and all of them have talked about the difficulty of what it is to hire somebody, let alone to hire somebody that actually wants to serve. But this kind of service is life-changing kind of stuff. I, I, and the culture gets it. The culture understands it. I was watching a commercial this week, funny enough, just the way God puts two things together, uh, and I saw a commercial for the new Rams, right? The The Dodge Ram trucks. I, I drive a Dodge Ram truck, and so I appreciate what they bring to the table. And... Um, <laughs> And and in the particular commercial uh, for the Ram, it, it said its tagline for the newest Ram is "Ram built to serve." And I thought it's time to get a new Ram. <laughs> <Right? clears throat> now I've never. I'm going to be quite honest with you. Service is something that's difficult for me. I grew up as a uh, a single child, a lonely child, and so I was kind of used to that and. And I'm not always the best at seeing the need and meeting the need. This became really apparent for me Uh, when I was in San Diego. I moved to San Diego to get my life right with the Lord and began to get into this school of ministry. And part of the school of ministry is to go do a missions trip. And the missions trip, we were getting ready for it. We needed a fundraise for it. We needed a plan for it. And the way we did fundraisers was to do a garage sale. And so we did this particular garage sale. I'm about 25 years old. I'm a single guy. I'm brand new in the reality of what it means to really be serving Jesus because up till 25, it was a very individualistic kind of mentality. Uh, and so here I am at this garage sale, and a lady bought a loveseat, a couch. And it was a heavy little couch, and they, the, the gals grabbed it, and they began to move it towards the, the car. And for whatever reason, it never occurred to me that maybe I should go over and help. And so as I was watching, almost dazing off into the the distance, the lady whose house the garage sale was at said, Jesse, get over and help. You need to serve. No wonder you're still single. (laughs) Man, that left a mark on me. That left a mark on me. To the degree that this morning, uh, I'll tell you that the battle still continues. After this Message and after this, the, the, today, after all of us leave, you know, my little daughter, my wonderful uh, little girl, she's just a, a treasure to me. She's turning nine years old today. Yeah, yeah, super cool. So she says for her nine, nine year birthday, she wants, to, she wants to go to the mall with 12 of her girls. 12 of her, yeah, yeah. So guess what I'm doing afterwards? I'm serving. I don't want to, but I'm gonna. But Paul understood this. If we think about Paul, right, Paul, Paul was this guy who was raised within Judaism, but he was also raised as a Roman citizen, and he writes this letter to Romans. The reason he's writing this letter is because these Romans who aren't Jews really don't Uh, They've never had any true apostolic teaching quite yet. Paul is the guy who's going to bring that to them. Uh, The Romans, uh, you know, they were in Rome. They didn't know all of the Jewish traditions and all of the things that were within Judaism. So Paul writes, and he writes to them specifically the entire, really, I'll I'll just encourage you that if you're not Jewish, Romans is written for you. And he lays out the law and he lays out God's grace and he lays out God's effective and effectual calling to us sinners who seem to refuse God that that there's this irresistible magnet to his grace that seems to draw us to himself. And in the first six verses is Paul just introducing himself quickly and then talking about what he wants to talk about throughout the rest of the letter. Which is he says, I want to look at verse three. Concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, whom we received through grace in the apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith. It's just a quick introduction of the gospel. And then he gets into this idea of just teaching and speaking specifically to those in Rome. And that's what we're going to pick up this morning uh, would you stand with me, please, if you can, and let's read together from verses 7 on to verse 17. To all of those in Rome who were loved by God and called to be saints. So that's you. Hopefully that is you this morning. Grace to you and peace from our God and Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness whom, here it is, here's the, the key uh, place we're going to hone in on for the next few weeks. Whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son. And without ceasing, I mention you always in my prayers, asking that some, some, somehow, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, and that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith both yours and mine. And so, Lord, would our faith truly be strengthened today because of your words, your life, your death, your resurrection. We trust you for it. In Jesus' name, the church said, amen. You can be seated. Thank you. Okay, so Paul, being raised with a dual citizenship, he would have seen within Judaism, right, those who were Pharisees, Sadducees, the scribes, the priests, the elders. What he saw within service from those of his own sect was a type of service that was mechanical. It was a service that was external. It was for show, right? We we see Jesus challenging the Pharisees on many occasions that they do what they do to be seen by others, not because it's actually a part of who they are. Their service unto God was far more formality than it was passion, far more ritual than it was, uh, or for more routine than it was actual passion or love from the Lord. That, 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 this kind of service, Paul would say in Galatians chapter 5, is service that comes through the flesh. This is what he says, For you are called to freedom. That's a big deal in Galatians, right? That's a big deal in that particular book. It's a big deal for us. We've been called to freedom. And he says specifically with that freedom, we're not to use that freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. We don't use it as an opportunity to serve ourselves, but rather, he says, through love, we serve one another. This is Paul's goal. He has now come to this place where he is no longer serving out of obligation to the Lord, but out of true service to Christ and because of what he's done. Now on the Greek side, right, you have all show and you have on the, on the Jewish side, you have all show, they're doing it as, a, as something that people can see them doing. They're trying to do it for attention and the motives are wrong. Now within the Greeks, right, the Roman Empire, you would have seen pagan priests serving gods, many gods to manipulate those gods for blessings. So it wasn't really because they loved the gods. It was because, well, if we do this for the gods, the gods will bring us fertility. The gods will bring us uh, better crops. The gods will bring us better money. That was the kind of service in Rome, right? The Jews were like, we got to do this to, to, out of obligation. And, and the Greeks were doing it because this is how we actually get gods to uh, please us. So their service was shallow and superficial, And all of us, I think if we're honest, up front, all of us find ourselves fighting off emotions that are negative towards service, or bad motives, or improper motives, instead of just serving Christ. Can I give you an internal example? Uh, For years, uh, let me give you the whole story. I'll give you the whole story, because I can. There was a time when I was a youth pastor that Pastor Wayne would literally every single week as an act of service to the church... Every single week, he tore down every single one of these chairs by himself, and he set them up every week by himself. And he would do that, and he would pray while he did it. He prayed over the chairs. He would pray over the congregation. And then at a, a, a particular point in his career, he no longer physically could do that, and so we began into a process of trying to do that through volunteers. And ever since then, these chairs have been a source of contention within the church. You don't even know this, do you? Welcome to the internal workings of a church filled with sinful people, right? (laughs) And so we've had volunteers do it. Sometimes it get done, sometimes it didn't. And so the staff just said, listen, enough's enough, okay? we've, We've tried to get people to serve. We've tried to get someone to step up and say, I want to handle the chairs. And so inside the staff, we said, you know what? One of the questions I asked the staff is, would you take your heart of service in the chairs and feel comfortable about giving that heart of service to someone else in the church? And I wasn't looking for an answer. I was just looking to challenge. And so the staff said, okay, listen, every Sunday, and this is now how we do it, every Sunday we hang out with you, we pray with you, and then roughly when you guys all start to start to leave, the staff, along with anybody else who wants to help, picks up the chairs. And what has happened is picking up the chairs has moved, just in the last few weeks of this decision, moved away from it being a thing of contention to kind of like almost a thing of like, okay, we're serving the Lord in this. We're showing the congregation that that we're not above service, that we're not above anything. We should be willing as leaders to be able to lay down our lives and to serve, and we should be exemplary in this as Christians. Service is a major mark of who we are supposed to be. That's why in Mark 10, 45, Jesus gives that mission statement. I I didn't come that everything would orbit around me, even though everything rightfully orbits around him, yeah? But he came to serve, to give his life for us that we would have freedom and true freedom comes from service. Look at how Paul introduces himself in verse 1. I didn't make a big deal of it, but look at verse 1 chapter 1. What does he say? Paul a what? A servant. Now what's really interesting is again, this is why it's important for us to study original language and what have you to the best of our ability. Who knows that word? <laughs> what's that word? It's doulos. What's the word doulos actually translated as? Slave or bondservant, free will slave, somebody who freely becomes in, in service to, indebted to another with joy and gladness. So Piper actually says when he defines it, he says that, hey, you know what? We should serve in a way that makes God look valuable, and we should serve in a way that makes him look thrilling, not in the way that the, the, the Jewish traditions that seem kind of rote and obligatory and not in a way that manipulates God, but in a way that's open to actually worshiping who Jesus is. And again, this is life-giving, world-changing kind of stuff. Now, do you know this morning, um, it was so neat how it worked out because some of you may not know this, but during COVID, our church, and this is not an overstatement, our church Kept Wagon Train alive. Did you know that? Because we were the only ones still going out and eating. (laughs) And because Siobhan, who owns Wagon Train, refused to close down Wagon Train. Now, I'm born and raised here, I'm a third generation dude. My grandfather is in the Truckee High School Hall of Fame for skiing, uh, uh, basketball, and football. That's my heritage. And, and, and when you go into Wagon Train, what you're doing when you walk into Wagon Train is you're walking into what Truckee, California used to be. You're going in a time capsule back to 1993. I, I take that back. If you go in there, you're actually going back to 1963. Okay, you're going back. And when you go in there, everything about what made Truckee beautiful, you can still find. You find people who are loving, kind, you find Bible studies in there. Siobhan has opened up that. To, uh, the, I mean, there are, there are like five Bible studies that all happen at Wagon Train. If you want to feed somebody and get them saved, take them to Wagon Train. It's a good first step. If they won't come to church, take them to Wagon Train. And, and, and here's what's happened. Another gal in our church, some of you know her, and I've made sure that, that she, uh, she, they were all willing I could share this this morning. Sue Beer works hours at Wagon Train. Hours. Do you know what she does? She serves coffee. Do you know what she gets paid for it? Nothing. She does it as an act of service. Why? Because she's like, first of all, she's like, I want to make sure that those guys are at the Bible study want to continue to come back for the Bible study. She wants to help Siobhan. Siobhan has been growing in her faith because of your declaration of faith. Now, this is important, and listen to what he says here. Look at what Paul says. Look at uh, verse uh, 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because of what? Your faith has been proclaimed throughout all of the world. Right? Service makes our faith, it makes it to where we can proclaim it. Service is a way to give proclamation to who Jesus is. Now, before we get into some of the nitty-gritty of the text, I know we're taking a little bit of time here, let's just understand a few things about Paul which will help us understand service. Because Paul was dynamic. Paul is someone that we all should try to be striving for only as much as what Paul has stated when Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. And there is a dynamicness to Paul. We know that he was resolute and determined, yeah? I mean, this guy is willing to be beaten and to come back for more and to keep preaching the gospel. This is a guy who was brought through, uh, he was arrested, He hit, rocks were thrown at him, he was left for dead, he's been shipwrecked, and he just keeps going. He's not afraid to call you a sinner either. I mean, if you don't believe me, just keep reading Romans chapter one, and he gives us the flow of where sin goes. He's resolute. He's an initiator, right? Paul is a church planter. He's a doer. He's a worker, and man, was he an intellectual. The dude was a genius, right? He was smart, a tremendous thinker, a wonderful writer. That's what we're reading now, a wonderful theologian. But above all of those things, as important as those things are, he will later tell the Corinthian church that's failing, if you have not love, you have nothing at all. You can have all the gifts, You can speak in tongues, you can have miracles, you can do all of that, but if you don't have love, you're a clanging symbol. That's his declaration in Romans 13. Why is that important? Because I think the first step towards true Christ-like service we have in the text is to be open like Paul is open to the congregation. It's to have an open heart to all of the people. All of the people. Notice he says, I give thanks for all of you. Who's all of you? It's the, it's the new Christian. It's the Christian who's been old for, for 80 years, and we're all like, Lord, take that person home. It's time. <laughs> you know I just say things just to see what your reaction is. Mavis, we want to keep you long here for long. <laughs> There's something about Paul... As one author says, there's something that's just super tender about Paul. You can't help but see it in this text and in so many other places. He's soft, he's warm, he's gentle. Like, like, yes, he had the zeal of a prophet and he had the mind of a teacher and he had the determination of an apostle, but he has the heart of a shepherd. He loves these people. He says, I, I long for all of you and I'm thankful for all of you. See, the church, this is a church he's never met. And inside he's saying, I, I've never met you And I want to come to you. And he tells us why he wants to go to them. Did you see it? He says, man, I I want to come. Number one, he says, I want. and we're going to get into this in the next few weeks, I want to impart to you a spiritual gift. I want to give you something. He's not coming just to preach, though preaching is going to be a big deal for him. But I want to encourage you, he says. I want to be encouraged, he says. He also says it's reciprocal. I want to be encouraged by your faith, both yours and mine in verse 12 he says, I don't want you to be unaware. I've I've intended to come to you, but God's kept me from you. That's what he's saying. God has hindered me from coming, so I can't come yet, but I want to reap a harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. You you can hear his heartbeat. He's open for these people. His heart is laid bare for these people. And in every letter, Paul is saying how much he loves the congregation. Think of Philippians 1.8. Philippians 1.8, Paul says, I yearn for you with all the affection of Christ. I yearn for you, he says. We, If we're gonna serve in a way that's life-changing and life-giving, it's gotta come from an openness, a transparency, a, a, I'm willing to, to be hurt by you. You know you can't love without pain. It's impossible. Because inevitably it ends up hurting, right? I came across a really fun thing uh, during... Uh, the valentine's week and it was a it was a quick little story of joe montana anybody know who joe montana is okay he was a quarterback for the 49ers i think i think i think and not that anybody else necessarily cares but i think he's the best quarterback to ever play the game none of these new guys i think joe Montana's it and i'm not a niner fan but that's just a quick little teaching point for you okay <laughs> and in this particular um in this particular little reel they were showing about Joe Montana, it was a later part in his career, and, and he, you know, this guy, he's supposed to be focused, he's supposed to have his head in the game, he's supposed to be determined, he's supposed to go win, he's supposed to get the Super Bowls, that's his thing. And he's on the sideline during a very important game, and he sees the phone. And if you're not familiar, there's a phone on the sideline, and that phone, its, it's designated use is for the coach to call a player to the phone and tell the player what they're doing wrong so they can be yelled at. And so he's sitting there again in the middle of the game and he's he looks at the phone, he's on the sideline and he thinks to himself, I wonder if it can call out of the stadium. So he picks it up and he gets a dial tone and he presses 9 and he gets another dial tone, which is what you used to have to press back in the day to do a long distance phone call. And you know who he calls? His wife hey, just want to let you know I love you, care about you. And for the next several minutes, you know, they're interviewing Joe Montana, how in the middle of a game, he's telling how much he loves his wife, and his wife is doing the interview as well, and she's talking about how much she appreciated that and how crazy it was that he got, you know, she got this phone call from Joe Montana. But here he is, he, he has this love for his wife that even in the middle of the game, his affection is still alive for his spouse, and Paul is in the middle of it. He he is serving God. He's loving God through service. He's going through difficulty. He's growing through hardships, but he has a singularity to him. I yearn for you. I love you. I want to see you. I want to serve you. I want to be with you. And then he uses language in here that just opens all of this up because he uses the language here that I will serve you with what? My spirit. Whom I serve? With my spirit. What is Paul saying when he serves with his spirit? Well, first of all, he's making a a very clear division between the kind of service he saw from the Gentiles and the kind of Christian service we should have, right? Whom I serve with my spirit, right? All of us should serve. It's a human thing to serve. There are, you know, those who go out in the world and they do a lot of good you know they go and they get clean water for those in africa or they they serve in some other way with those who are homeless or what there's so many ways for us to serve and we should serve but what paul is saying is he's saying our service has far more to do though it's with our hands and feet has far more to do with the spiritual side of things because the because the christian church is a spiritual society yeah We're not just a physical society. It's spiritual business. So when Paul says, I serve whom I serve with my spirit, he's saying several different things here. One, he's saying, and this comes from deep within me. There is something so relational with his Savior, so relational with Jesus, so relational with these people. He is so filled with with thanksgiving for what God has done in his inner man. This is a guy who persecuted the church. This is a guy who murdered the church. He went from murdering the church to serving the church because God saved him. And what he's saying is he's saying, just like what Mike, I think, is saying is we're prayed for Mike. I don't want to serve God because I'm driven to serve God out of compulsion and obligation because obligation isn't the reason he wants to serve the Lord. We don't serve the Lord because we care what people think or how much we get paid for it. We serve it because it's our heart to do it. It's our heart to serve the Lord. God, you're my king, and so I lay down my life for you. Paul's saying this is an all-out effort for me. Paul is saying I'm not a hireling. Paul is also alluding to the fact that this is Holy Spirit stuff in him, and it can't be connected to the flesh. Do you remember what he says in Galatians? I've been crucified with Christ. There's the unity we have with Jesus. It's I. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Shouldn't we all make that declaration? It isn't my life. It isn't my agenda. It's the Lord's agenda. It makes me happy to serve. It gives me blessings to serve. And this gives us the ability to enjoy all people when it's under the Lord because God's not looking for perfect service, is he? I hope not. Because who in this room has ever given perfect service unto Christ? Who can say every motive, every intent, every action, every thought Every word has been always pure and always great and always awesome. Husbands, do you exemplify this kind of service that Paul talks about in Ephesians? For husbands in chapter 5, love your wives as what? Ladies, are you able to, to serve your, wife, your, your, your husband with, without grumbling and complaining? Don't say it out loud. Don't nudge, don't peek. Right? Just do this. It's me. Paul's letting us know he's intensely committed. Now, how do you serve into the Spirit? I think he tells us a little bit in Romans 12.1. I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of service. Now, I can't remember if I said this up front, But that Greek word that's used for service is also often translated as worship. So Paul is literally saying, I'm appealing to you in Romans. Later, I appeal to you, lay your life down. It's the same appeal I give you this morning. It's the same appeal of Paul. Would you lay your life down? Lay your agendas down. Lay your goals down. Put them on the altar and say, Christ, have your way with these things. Let the Lord challenge you in service. Let God challenge you what direction you should move in. You know, if, if all of us leave California and move out of California, who's going to preach the gospel to Californians? Right? Some of us have to stay in spite of not wanting to stay. That's service. That's service unto God. That's, it's not about my comfort It's not about what I want. It's not about just my desires. It's God, what are your desires? And trust me when I say this, when you lay your life down in service, God will take care of the emotions that you need and that you desire to have for completeness within you. Paul actually encourages Timothy, right? Here's Paul writing to another young pastor, telling a young pastor how to pastor. And Paul uses this language in 2 Timothy, I think God whom I serve as did my ancestors. There's a theme here in this passage, if you're, if you're there and you're thinking about it. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, there's this theme where Paul says, I serve this God, this awesome God, like my ancestors did. He's recognizing his, his Old Testament ancestors got something right in regards to serving God. And he says, I do this with a clear conscience. That's, that's important. Who wants that? Does anybody want to be free from the weights in your mind? And he goes on, I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day. I remember your tears. Here's more of his affection. I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith. He's telling Timothy, I know your faith. And then he goes on and he says, the faith that's in you, Timothy, I know that your grandmother had it. He goes on and says, I know that your mother, Eunice, also has it. What Paul is saying in regards to service in this passion is he's now connecting it in these other passages that service should be a family affair. Right? We've got couples in the church, they take their kids, they take their, their families, and they go serve the Lord. Like, like, what would it look like if our families in the church said, you know what? I, I'm not gonna just come to an event and an enjoy event. I'm gonna come and teach my kids how to serve at this event so that my kids realize that church is not like everything else in the world, right? When I go to the mall today, the mall is all about me. It's actually not about me because I don't care about the mall, but, it's a, but you know what I'm saying, right? You walk in the mall, oh shoes for me. Someone's in there, they want to sell you something. It's not like that, right? It's, it's Lord, I want to be in service and I want to share that service with my kids, that my kids are not consumeristic people, but they're serving people and they're giving people. If you don't involve your children with you in acts of service, you're not discipling your children well. And I I say that because I love you and I'm saying that for myself. Everything about this message and this is why we're going to do Ephesians after this, after Easter, is because I need this. Do you hear me? This is not Jesse up here saying, I've got this down, and I've hammered it through, and I'm doing it, and you should follow my example. No, this is me saying, this is the word of God. We need to be encouraged into this. I need to be encouraged into this, because it is how God is magnified. We love God with all of our hearts, all of our souls, all of our minds. That then should play out into our hands and our feet, And we're going to do this, like I said, for a couple messages, so there's more to come. But here's the main one I want to drive home this morning that's in our text. Look at verse 8. First, he says, First, I thank my God. If we're going to increase our acts of service to the declaration and the glorification of God, we have to first be thankful an attitude of gratitude, yeah? I mean, that's what Thessalonians says is the will of God. And Paul in here says, I'm thanking God. For what? Look, he says, through Jesus. I've got to thank him through Jesus. I'm, I'm thankful for what God is doing. The first thing in order to, to magnify God and, and to get into service is to be thankful for what God is doing. So let me just be completely honest. Is our church perfect? It isn't. Some of you are very aware of that. Some of you, maybe you still got rose-colored glasses. It isn't, but we are growing, and we're trying to get better at what we're doing, and we're trying to be more scriptural. But at the end of the day, it doesn't do us a whole lot of good to complain about what we're not good at, but we need, as, as one has said, that which gets celebrated gets duplicated. We need to be rejoicing in the great things God is doing. And be less critical of them because we do, God does not do things according to our agenda. His ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Do you believe that? Let me give you a radical example. I saw this post originally from a guy by the name of H.B. Charles who I respect greatly. H.B. Charles is a great guy. And uh, he, he gave a post on what is happening uh, at the Asbury University in Wilmore, Kentucky. Has anybody been able to follow that? February 8th, 11 days ago. February 8th, some people don't know how it started. But just so you know, this, what happened at Asbury, they're calling it a revival. Uh, but what, what's hap- what happened was this. A college, I think it was a college guy, I can't remember exactly, but a guy got up and he preached. And his message, from kind of what I've gathered, mostly was on the law. Basically what Paul does in a lot of his letters. You're a sinner, you have sinned, you need to repent of your sin. You need to get right with God. And then the last like 10 minutes of his message was the gospel. It's usually pretty good gospel preaching. You're a sinner. You're in need of salvation. Jesus is your way out. The guy gets off stage and, and then unbeknownst to him, th- he didn't intend for it to happen. Students began to worship and pray within their chapel and they haven't stopped 24-7 since February 8th. Here's what I love about it. This is HB Charles speaking. No high profile leaders, no celebrity pastors, no strategies, no multimedia, no props, just students crying out to God with devotion, humility, and repentance and prayer under their Savior. Kids coming into the room and declaring their worship, some just coming in to fall down on their hands and knees and to pray, some are being prayed over, repentance is happening, it's a beautiful thing. Now to my disgust and my disdain, if you go on social media and you see a post, don't go digging into the comments too long because what you will find are highly critical people who probably have never seen Revival, who probably have never led anybody to Jesus, criticizing what seems and appears to be a movement of God. I'm not there. All I know is you're getting a bunch of college kids not scrolling through pornography and social media, and they're in a room singing worship songs and raising their hands to Jesus, some of them bowing down in tears, begging God to come into their life and to forgive them, and then somebody has has the withal to say, oh, but you know that song they're singing isn't quite theologically correct. Do you think Jesus is in heaven hearing these students cry out and going, my love's not reckless? (laughs) Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. And people go, God's love isn't reckless. It isn't. It isn't. But do you know what? To us in humanity, it sure seems that way. I mean, don't you think it seems reckless for the God of the universe who's perfect to call sinners who are imperfect to salvation, and then to call those sinners and say, guess what, I want to use you to build the church. That seems really reckless to me. But his Holy Spirit knows what we don't know. And we should be crying out and saying, okay, God, I don't know what's happening. All I know is I know Paul had a big heart, and he didn't look what was wrong with people. He wasn't picky. He was just thankful that people were worshiping Jesus. Thankfulness, let me tell you. Thankfulness will always move towards a cause and thankless people will always complain and will never find themselves a part of something that is life-giving and beautiful and special because if we're not thankful, then we're just complainers. How do we serve the Lord? Open up your heart. Rend it open to the people around you. Be willing to lay your life down as an act of worship and service to the Lord. And if you're really going to be filled with service in a way that changes lives, well, you have to be thankful. There's so many things we can complain about. You know, the announcements aren't funny enough. Amy's pretty funny. I can't believe Brad wears sandals. We've, we've heard it all. Hey, we, I'm joking, but that's a real thing. That has been a real complaint from some people. I can't believe you have coffee in the sanctuary. What, as if the room, as if the room is somehow set apart and unique? You know what this is? This is a room. It's a room. And the room is here to serve you while Christ serves you through the preaching of his word and worship. So you'll leave and go serve. And if you need coffee to pay attention to the teaching, by all means, Drink more of it then. And if we get a stain on the carpet, we're going to clean it up. Some of you don't know, when we first put in that bookstore in the back, we had people saying, you can't let the youth in there. They're going to ruin our nice brand new bookstore. And I said, do you know what you're saying? That the gospel has no place for our kids? That the church is set apart only for for adults? Forget that. We may have nice things, but we're going to make them dirty and messy because that's the gospel. Right? Does everything look perfect in here? No. And we've got artists in our church. We've got one, and they're constantly like, you know, the color doesn't match this. And I'm like, I, I'm colorblind. I don't care. Let's just <laughs> keep preaching. Be thankful. And I'm going to close with this last story. Fourth century. The church in the early fourth century. Emperor Julian said this of the church. Fourth century, this is not too far after Christ has been resurrected and the church is flourishing and growing within Rome. And what's interesting is Emperor Julian of the fourth century said this of Christians. He First of all, he called them atheists. He called Christians atheists because they didn't believe in the multiplicity of gods. They believed in one God, so he called them atheists. This is what he says. Atheism, Christian faith, atheism, has been specifically advanced through the loving service rendered to strangers and through their care for the burial of the dead. Okay, this is a guy who, just for context, imagine if Gavin Newsom wrote this. Christian faith seems to be specifically advancing through the loving service rendered to strangers and for their care for the burial of the dead. You know what was happening in Rome? People were getting sick. There were diseases that were prevalent. People were dying left and right. And it was only Christians who were willing to go into the city to give closure to families. He goes on. He says, this is a, it's a scandal, he says. Imagine Newsom saying that. This is a scandal, that there's not a single Jew, let's translate it, not a single Christian, who is a beggar. It is a scandal that not a single Jew is a beggar and that the godless Galileans, Christians, that's what he called them, the godless Galileans, care not only for their own poor, but for ours as well. Imagine again, Newsom saying this, this last sentence, while those who belong to us look in vain for the help that we should render them. I kind of think this is where the state is today. We're here to help you. We're here to serve you. But if you take it, it will lead to bondage. You'll be indebted to the state. But here, the emperor saw clearly the church was doing what the state thought the church, the the state, the church was doing what the state thought it should be doing. The church stood up and said, we care for our own with acts of love and service and we care for those who are not our own with acts of love and service imagine if the community of Truckee California said that was true of us that church serves its own it's undeniable it's unmistakable that faith has been proclaimed through all of the world so paul says in romans imagine if our community said that and they also said in addition to them caring for their own, they're not self-focused and self-centered. They go out into the community and they care for people who aren't even Christians. Wow. This is what he said. He said, this is, this is what the, the, that Julian said, man, the church is blowing up because of loving acts of service to each other and to the world. That is gospel declaration, to serve and to love and to say it comes. Paul doesn't leave it out. It comes from the gospel of his son. That's verse 9 at the second part there, the gospel of his son. That's what makes us unique. There's a lot of things we could do that are good, a lot of service we can do that's good, but the gospel's got to be totally tucked into there completely, yeah? So as we go through this series, it It's my hope that we would become more Christ-like in our acts of service to one another and our acts of service to our community. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for what you've done. As You share with us not to make any provision for the flesh. Don't serve the flesh, but be open to the Spirit and serve the things of the Spirit. In order to do so, we must have our hearts open bare to one another to our other churches, Lord, that that are in the area, to our other believers, but also to those who don't know you. So may all of us be encouraged to find ways to put our love for you and our worship for you into our hands and feet and give us the ability to make our community a better place because you are in it. And we trust you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
0: Jesus came to serve and to save. We must decrease so that he must